All right, we're ready to jump into Nehemiah, uh, which is, we're starting a new book this week, and we're planning on just going through the first three chapters. Um, and before we get going, um, I did want to ask whether any themes that stood out, especially as we are, we have just finished up Ezra, and this has uh, so many um similar but also just parallel that's what the word i'm trying to come up with themes that we have also seen in ezra and even some of the story uh that we got to read in ezra it's you know nehemiah's perspective um it's kind of almost like a gospel you know telling the same thing but from a different perspective um so anything that jumped out to you ladies as you're particularly in the first three chapters that stood out to you on this read through Sure. Okay. Um, so something that stood out to me, um, just in connection with Ezra, was how uh, King is it Artaxerxes? Yeah, Artaxerxes this time <clears throat> has that same respect for Jerusalem and for God's people and for this work that they're going to do, and his number one willingness to let people to return to do this, uh, but <clears throat> excuse me, number two, giving them the supplies and the material and just how much respect the pagan kings had for God and for his people that we don't always see. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing that stood out to me a lot that we talked about a little bit actually with Esther mm-hmm. is just Nehemiah's constant devotion to prayer when stuff is going on. So praying about the destruction of Jerusalem and praying for the good work that he's doing and even how in Esther it doesn't explicitly mention prayer, but you can kind of tell from the story, like, that's definitely what they're doing, being in this difficult situation and asking for God's help, God's guidance, and his, like, protection through all their efforts. Okay, great. Sherry, what about you? Um, so, yeah, I noticed that, too, with the with Nehemiah's prayer. Nehemiah, one of the things I love about Nehemiah is he's definitely a an advocate of the short prayer. Because, um, you know, sometimes we, say, we, we think, I think anyway, okay, well, is that disrespectful if I'm just saying a short prayer? Right. But and there's, there's times when he prays before he gets ready to answer someone. Mm-hmm. So the king asks him, so how long are you going to be gone? And he prays. Mm-hmm. And then he answers. So it's obviously not a very long prayer. Right. Um, so um, that stands out to me, uh, always has with, with the book of Nehemiah. As far as the connection with Ezra, of course, we talked about this um, early on, that Ezra and Nehemiah are part of the same book. And so the structure is um, sort of congruent. Think of of it being Ezra and Nehemiah instead of Ezra and then Nehemiah. You have a lot of um, uh, parallel structure. You have the accomplishments of Zerubbabel. Then you have the accomplishments of Ezra then you have the accomplishments of Nehemiah. And um, those are like, it's like an A, B, A, B pattern. Mm-hmm. Uh, the call, the accomplishments, the call, the accomplishments, the call, the accomplishments, and then final thoughts at the end. You also have a chiastic structure kind of where, um, where it builds up through uh, Ezra and the pinnacle of the chiasm is the people's repentance in Ezra 9 and 10, mm-hmm. and then it goes back the other direction, um, starting with uh, Nehemiah chapter 1. And so that would be 
So that would, and it's a seven part structure. So um, uh, the pinnacle then would be the fourth unit. So then there's three more units in Nehemiah and uh, they go in descending order from Ezra. And, and you can see a lot of parallelism um, with that the accomplishments of Nehemiah versus the accomplishments of Ezra with the, the people of the land trying to interfere with the king giving you know what they need in order to accomplish their task. Um, there's just a lot of um, sort of parallel thoughts. Um, and, uh, uh, and also I think there's a contrast between Ezra and Nehemiah's uh, attitudes, their leadership style, mm -hmm. um, and so I mean they're both great men. So, um, which tells me that like there's not there's more than one le leadership style that's approved by God. Mm -hmm. Like God obviously approved of Ezra, He obviously approved of Nehemiah. Two completely different personality styles, right? right. Two completely different ways of taking care of things. Mm -hmm. And then um, uh, it seems like it seems like uh, Nehemiah I think is all completely written in first person. Ezra, not so much because he doesn't even come into the picture right. until like the sixth chapter. Mm -hmm. um, and so um, uh, it's just interesting that, that uh, or the seventh chapter, um, like the first half of Ezra is not even about Ezra, it's about someone else. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so, and that's also shows me that Zerubbabel has a different style too because mm -hmm. Zerubbabel doesn't write anything down. Someone else writes it down for him. Right. Um, so, um, uh, so those are the things that stand out to me with those with, with those three characters because we're dealing with three three main characters: Zerubbabel, Ezra, Nehemiah. Yeah, very good. Um, along the lines of what uh, both you and Elizabeth brought out as far as the you know the prayer and Nehemiah keeping. To me, along with the short prayer thoughts, he is keeping God at the forefront of his mind. And in this uh, environment, in this uh, situation that he is in, where he is in, he's in a foreign land, but, at, you know, just all these examples of God's people in, uh, when they're in the captivity stage of things, still finding a way to be faithful to God mm -hmm. is so impressive to me in the sense of, you know, I think of, you know, we're going out to the workplace or we're, mm -hmm. you know, quote, going into the world. That is expected. You know, there's just just so counterintuitive to, like, I get into some of these loops or groups or whatever of people who it's almost like they're trying to create a monastery and really, you know, and quote, keep themselves pure, mm -hmm. but what they really are doing is cutting themselves off completely with any interaction mm -hmm. with people who are not Christians. Mm -hmm. And and that's just not what I see mm -hmm. in the scriptures. Even in the Old Testament, when you don't have an evangelistic, mm -hmm. you know, message per se, mm -hmm. still God says, wherever you are, you serve me. You know, and I just, it, that to me stands out very loudly in Nehemiah is that he's doing that so well. And to the point where, where we're about to read, you know, the king is, well, what is wrong? And then he shares that and he goes, well, 
well, when are you going to come back? You know, it's like, hey, you are very valuable to me. You know, it's not just, yeah, sure, get out of here. You know, it's... Or no, you're not going. Yeah, <laughs> right. You have really... I mean, again, to me, you know, kind of goes back to like with Joseph. You know, you have... He has been made an asset uh, to the, such degree, one, because God has blessed him to be in that place, but two, just the way that he has conducted himself. You know, it's just impressive. So, right. Right. anyway, okay, let's jump into chapter one. Appreciate y'all sharing those overall thoughts. I feel like that kind of gets a good um, foundation for us to jump into uh, Ezra and Nehemiah. <laughs> I feel like now I'm going to have to correct myself. Like, oh, you mean Ezra and Nehemiah? <laughs> the second part? Of, no. Okay, I'll uh, go ahead and read chapter one. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, while I was in Susa, the capital, that Hanani, one of my brothers, and some men from Judah came, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and had survived the captivity and about Jerusalem. They said to me, the remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach, and the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are burned with fire. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. I said, I beseech you, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who preserves the covenant and and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear now be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, which I am praying before you now, day and night, on behalf of the sons of Israel, your servants. Confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, which we have sinned against you, I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you. You have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the ordinances, which you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word which you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, Though those of you who have been scattered were in the most remote part of the heavens, I will gather them from there and will bring them to the place where I have chosen to cause my name to dwell. They are your servants and your people whom you redeem by your great power and your strong hand. O Lord, I beseech you, may your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servants to delight, excuse me, who delight to revere your name and make your servant successful today, and grant him compassion before this man. Now I was the cupbearer to the king. Okay, Sherry, would you get us started with chapter one? Okay, um, you know, it, it's it, uh, obviously it starts out with a prayer, so um, Nehemiah is all about prayer, and we have this really, uh, this really beautiful prayer, and uh, it, it it reminds me of Ezra's prayer um, in a lot of ways because um, Nehemiah isn't the one, isn't one of the ones who sin, but he's taking it, he's taking responsibility for it as if he had. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he doesn't say, these people have sinned and so um, I'm being punished for these other people's sins. He's saying, we have sinned against you and and also, um, what impresses me about the prayer is that Nehemiah um, uh, goes back 
and reminds God, not that he needs to be reminded, but of the promises that he made. Mm -hmm. And um, he's basing his prayer on a scriptural precedent. Mm -hmm. You know, he's saying, well, you said that this was going to happen, and sure enough it did, and we sinned against you, and so then this had to happen, and so now, you know, we're trying to turn back to you, so, and it, it reminds me of Ezra's prayer, it also reminds me of Daniel's prayer, because mm -hmm. Daniel said at the end of the 70 years, okay, you know, we sinned against you, and so we got taken into captivity, so now it seems like about 70 years, so, um, so how about, you know, seeing if we can get back to, you know, returning it. So, um, so it's very similar. And um, even though, and it's also, um, it also impresses me that, uh, so Nehemiah, we, we don't, we don't think of this because we, um, living where we live and in the, in the age that we live, we can't, I can't imagine something happening like a hundred miles away and me not knowing about it. Right. It's not, especially something really important. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm pretty aware of what's going on, at least in the state of Alabama, okay? Yeah. Um, and everyone is aware of things that are going on halfway across the world yeah. in Russia. Mm -hmm. um, and so, but that's not the way that it was at that time. And here's Nehemiah, who's a who's a high official to the king. And the cupbearer to the king wasn't just a servant to the king. He was like in the king's presence a lot. Mm -hmm. And obviously, um, because the king seems to know him fairly well. Yeah. So it's not just like the guy that comes in and shines his shoes. He's the cupbearer, which is an important position. Right. And um, so, um, so you'd think he would know mm -hmm. because he's a higher up government official. And yet he's all upset about it when he finds out that Jerusalem's not doing all that well. Mm -hmm. um, and it's obvious that he didn't know before this point. Right. And so, um, you know, just when we think about things like that, it just, um, we, we, have to, we have to sort of go back in history and try to think of how they thought of it. Um, and why, why, like, why is he surprised about that? Well, because he was the cupbearer to the king and that's what he did. And he didn't go anywhere else. He didn't, he wasn't a world traveler. Um, nobody was, mm -hmm. and uh, and the king obviously has respect for the Jews. He doesn't know either, yeah. Because when Nehemiah mentions it to him, he's like, "Oh, well, sure, go." Mm -hmm. uh, and it's, so it's not like he's like, "Yeah, I kind of knew about that, but you know, wasn't sure how you felt about it." But you know, right. he's like, he didn't know either. So um, and it's not that far away, yeah. And so um, those are the things that the the details that I that I find um, impressive um, living when, in the time that I live. And, and so that there's, and there, there'll be other things uh, as we come up on them that are specific to their culture that we don't really experience in our culture. There's so many things, but, but this is just one of them that um, uh, I guess maybe Nehemiah thought well, they went back, they restored the temple, they restored the worship, so everything should be good, right? Mm -hmm. And then he finds out, nah, it's not that good. Yeah. Um, and he like 
wants to do something about it right now. Yeah. So um, uh, that impresses me too. And um, just interesting that at the end of the prayer, the last verse, now I was cut bare to the king. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, by the way. <laughs> well, and it seems like that's such a, a fitting transition to, so I'm in this position now. Yeah. To take, you know, right. to go before the king right. and, you know, have this conversation. But, right. Elizabeth, what, what thoughts have you got on chapter one? Yeah, I, I noticed a lot of similar things to what Sherry talked about, especially that, like, taking responsibility, even though, like, he individually was not part of the group that sinned and was part, wasn't necessarily part of the reason um, <clears throat> they got taken away. But I really wanted to kind of focus on this idea of active remembrance because like sherry said god doesn't need to be reminded Mm -hmm. but i've been thinking about this a lot with this and in genesis talking about noah when it says god remembered noah Mm -hmm. it's not like he forgot about them it's not like god forgot these promises it's um just nehemiah nehemiah recognizing this and having god say or not reminding god but this active remembrance of okay you said you were going to do this is now the time to do something about it. Um, And that has all sorts of applications for us, especially when we talk about like the Lord's Supper. This is remembrance. This is an active thing that we're doing. And every time someone's like asking God to remember something, it's asking him to do something about whatever situation. So I think that's just a concept that we don't really think about in that way. Because for us, it's just like, oh yeah, I forgot this thing. I remembered it. Okay, are you going to do something about it or what? Um, So I thought that was um, really interesting. And I really do think this is a great example of how we should pray. Um, When the college students did the prayer study, we talked a lot about knowing the nature of who we're praying to. So knowing the nature of God is really important to prayer. Um, And in this case, knowing what he has said, what he has promised is also important to a good prayer. Um, (coughs) And really appealing to the nature of God and his promises in our prayers, which is something that I don't do as much as I think I should. Um, Or even using things from scripture in our prayers. So specifically citing, you know, these were the commandments, this was the promise, this is what you've said we can do the same thing in our own uh, personal prayers, especially, I know, something that a lot of people will do is just quote a psalm as of the mm-hmm. psalms that are prayers for that as well. Um, that's really all the thoughts I had besides what Sherry has already said, because a lot of my notes really overlapped with what <laughs> right. we already talked about. Mm-hmm. Well, and along the, those same thoughts where you're talking about one, I, I really appreciate you bringing out, I, I do feel like if our prayers are to be heard, it is it would be it is vital that we know the nature of God. We in in some degree speak his language because I do think that is a big part of bringing these things to remembrance is, you know, I, I do uh, to what you were saying, Sherry, of you know, kind of having to, reframe things and kind of rethink things in terms of like culturally speaking there there are a lot of religious folks who have become extremely familiar and you know very uh, 
I don't know if this is the right terminology, but I, in my estimation, irreverent, you know, with their relationship with the Lord as if it were a best friend and, you know, uh, you know, some, some person's like, he's my home dog or something like that. That's just so, it's so ridiculously crude and inappropriate, you know, whereas you read through this prayer and other examples that y'all have already mentioned where you've got someone who has the proper knowledge of God and that I feel like is part of what God attunes his ear to as if, you know, as if on a much grander scale you are going before the king. Well, who is the king going to listen to but someone who comes appropriately in his presence and says, this is who you are. And because you are this person, I would I, I want to bring this thing to your attention, you know. Um, and we're, we're going to see that with how Nehemiah approaches the king. But all, but on such, like I say, on a, such a grander scale, he knows how to do that before the Lord and these other men who, hey, seventy years, you are the one who can do this. Would you, you know, would you consider doing this? Yes. Now I'm remembering in some sense you know like you've you've appropriately brought it up and I just and that that thought is so sobering to me of if I want quote God's attention well I better know what he has promised I better know who he is and how to approach him and then that's when I can say please hear my plea for this orphan or you know whatever the the situation is that is heavy on my heart. So, um, and it's so much less about us too. That's the other thing again that you brought out as far as his attitude. We as a people, you know, and it is for it has to do with connection to God, not just me, you know. And that's another thing that is challenging, I think, for us. Anyway, Sherry, did you have some thoughts that came to mind on that? Um, just. Um we're, we're going to see this in the in the next um, well chapter. We'll see it in the next chapter. Okay, so I'll, I'll just hold it for there. Okay, all right. So chapter two and um, Sherry, do you mind if I if you read that for us? Chapter two. In the month of Nisan, the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad, when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, What are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting by him, by him How long will you be gone, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, let letters be given to me, to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber and make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked. 
for the good hand of my God was upon me. Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen, but when officers of the army and horsemen, but when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servants, servants, servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose in the night and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down, and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate, to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, and I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant, the Ammonite servant, and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we his servants will arise and build. But you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. Okay. All right. Um, Elizabeth, you okay. want to start us off? Yeah, sure. So there was a lot in this mm -hmm. that I, I would love to talk about. So first thing that kind of connects us back to chapter 1 is when he prays like on the spot when the king is asking him this. And I think that really does speak to what we're talking about, like the idea of the short prayer. You don't have to set aside a lot of time to make this really long, drawn-out prayer. It can just be like a very quick supplication for whatever you need in the moment. And I think that um, <clears throat> is really, um, I guess, expedient for him. Mm -hmm. And it's clear that God has put him in this position and given him this success to go back and rebuild Jerusalem with the favor of the king. Um, it also reminded me a little bit of Esther, just his general interaction with the king. And it could just be social custom, but I think it also speaks to his humility in his interaction with the king. Um, just asking permission for this, doing it respectfully, and then asking for protection and resources. Um, and I think it's really great that Artaxerxes does supply this to him, which we see from, you know, even Cyrus and uh, the the other kings. I don't Xerxes, yeah. I don't remember all of them exactly, but how they all have this. Even though they're pagan kings, they have the willingness to supply them with protection and resources, whatever they need to rebuild Jerusalem. Um, and then the last, well. One comment and then one question, I guess, because I didn't entirely understand it. Um, we see, again, this opposition to the work coming up again that we saw a lot 
in Ezra where a lot of people were opposed to it and it's like hey did the king rich like did you get permission to do this not like in a just checking way but definitely in a malicious way uh, why are you rebelling against the king why are you doing this we don't want to see Jerusalem being rebuilt I think it's just a common theme that when we are doing the Lord's work when we are doing what we're supposed to be doing there's going to be this opposition from people who don't want that to be done um I think a lot, especially after that Ecclesiastes gospel meeting that we had about all these academics and quote-unquote smart people that don't want to see the gospel spread just because it conflicts with their personal beliefs and how there's always going to be obstacles that we need to overcome and opposition that's going to stand in our way as we do what's right. So I guess my question is I don't entirely know why he went at night to do the inspection like what what was the benefit of him doing that in secret all right pitching it to sherry go sherry <laughs> um so um, do you what do you mind addressing that do you have no thoughts on i don't that? Mind, no um i thought of that too um the only thing that i can think of would be that it would be because he didn't want to reveal it quite yet because he not only said did it at night but he also said I hadn't told anybody what I was thinking about doing yet mm -hmm. and so maybe he didn't want to arouse suspicions like what is he doing mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and um, it would be uh, when they do experience opposition which they do um, it's probably not going to be at night because you know in that day and age, you didn't attack at night because yeah. nobody could see anything. Right. And so maybe it was just, um, um, and, and it, it, because he also mentions he didn't have any other animals with him. Like, mm -hmm. why is that a thing? Mm -hmm. um, uh, he, he did take a few other people. So maybe the um, implication is that, you know, we didn't take a big army of people to go around and do this. And so we were kind of, um, exposed and not that well protected mm -hmm. and so maybe at night would be a better time to do something like that where they wouldn't be expecting you to be out riding horses around them right you know expecting you because you, you know that they're going to get opposition later when they find out and it, it seems like um, when he says even when he says okay uh, I didn't tell anybody this is what I was doing yeah uh, indicates to me that he wanted to make sure. He wanted to make sure that this is this was something that was doable, and how it was going to get done without having a bunch of opposition before even before right. even laid it out. Right. Even before even. Uh, and when he does lay it out, he's got total support from the people mm -hmm. instead of um, you know a bunch of rumors spreading around. Here, you know, this guy's kicking around the big wall. What is? What's, what's going on with that? And mm -hmm. So there's no, there's nothing, nobody knows anything until he goes to the officials and goes, this is what I have planned. Yeah. So um, maybe the element of surprise and, uh, and just, you know, sort of trying to formulate your keep plan. him protected, mm -hmm. protected from possible, you know, opposition when he didn't have that many people with him to, right. you know, mm -hmm. to fight him. So, I mean, that's, that's my guess. Yeah. Okay. All right. And your thoughts from chapter two? Uh, okay. Um, 
uh, we talked about, we've talked about this a little bit in, um, I don't know if we've, I don't know if we've talked, I don't know, we've talked about it, it well, we talked about it with Kelly a lot, mm -hmm. um, as far as, um, uh, what it means to come before God in worship, mm -hmm. and, um, and so I think this bears out um, when, whenever we see someone going before the king, especially in this section, you have Ezra, you have Esther, and you have Nehemiah going before the king, and he says, I was very much afraid. Mm -hmm. So in verse, at the end of verse two, the king said, why, why are you sad? And he was afraid, because mm -hmm. you're not supposed to be sad in front of the king. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so, and when we, we don't think of that today. We don't think, we're not afraid to, you know, we might have respect for, for government officials, but we're not afraid of them. Right. Well, they were afraid. Yeah. And so when, um, when we see these reactions or these ways that people approach the kings, then, um, I think we need to pay attention that, okay, God is a king, and that's also how you're supposed to approach God. But we don't see that because we don't bow down to anyone. Right. Um, uh, but this was, and it wasn't bowing down out of respect. Mm -hmm. People say, oh, bow down, bowing down out of respect. No, well, yeah, that, but it was fear. It was also fear. Right. Because he doesn't just say, I was kind of afraid. He says, I was very much afraid. Right. So... Um, even though he knew the king, mm -hmm. um, and he was going to make a big ask of the king, like this is a big ask. Like not only do I want you to let me go, I want you to provide me with the means to do what I need to do. Right. Basically, give me all the stuff that yeah. I need. And so, um, uh, but still, you know, when the king asked him, "Why are you sad?" He was very much afraid. Mm -hmm. um, and so, I think that's something we need to pay attention to whenever we see someone approaching a king. Um, in the Old or New Testament that this was a big deal. And mm -hmm. so um, it reminds us that when we are approaching the throne of God um, that we need to have that, not just respect, but it's, it's, it's a fear. Mm -hmm. It is a fear. And some pe people will say all the time, well, it's not really fear, it's really more respect. No, no, it's fear. Yeah. Um, because you see it every single time. Right. And you see people bowing down out of respect, but they're also bowing down out of fear. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's a reaction. It's like that. It's like that that recognition that um, healthy. I, I, I'm trying to think of another word, but that real recognition of this is it, yes, this person you know may have my best interest at heart, but there is also a terrifying. You know, aspect of what they are, what they have the authority to do. To do. Yeah. Right. So. Yeah, this person can kill me if he wants to. Yeah. Right. And I wouldn't have anything I could say about it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so there's that, um, and then um, uh, later, later in the later in the chapter. Um, um, there's a, I'm sure, and I didn't research this, but I'm sure you can go around and follow, you know, where he went and that on the different gates, you know, he says he went around and he says that he couldn't, um, there was a place where he couldn't get through 
um, because it, its animal couldn't pass through there. So I'm assuming it's because it was broken down enough that you couldn't, you had to go around, out around it, you couldn't go through there. Mm -hmm. um, um, there's a mention of the King's Pool, which is interesting to me because I think that is a reference to, that is a portion of the wall that was built by Hezekiah when he, um, uh, there's a mention of it in um, uh, Second Kings and Second Chronicles, Second Kings 20, verse 20, and then Second Chronicles 32 mentions the same thing, um, that he, so he dammed up the river that was going through there so that, um, so that they could have water and not have to go outside the wall. Um, and so that, that's, that's what that is. Um, and that's where he says there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. So apparently they completely destroyed that too. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so it was just, I mean, the, the level that could, he's going all the way around the wall. And so the level of devastation is just like, there's not one stone standing upon another. Like there is just completely destroyed. There's areas where you can't even go, go past it's completely exposed. Um, and so it just reminds me of the daunting task that they have. It's not, they're not just repairing the wall, they're building a new wall mm -hmm. because there's nothing, there's nothing to repair. Yeah. Um, uh, and um, then, so, and, and we're gonna see this throughout the rest of the, the, the uh, book. The um, things that, the opposition try to do in order to dissuade you. It's like, okay, well that didn't work, so let's try this. Mm -hmm. And the first thing they say is, well, do you have permission from the king? Um, as if they care that much about the king. Mm -hmm. um, it reminds me of um, uh, when, when Jesus was uh, before Pilate, and the Jews said, oh, well, you're in opposition to the king because we have no king but Caesar. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, we respect Caesar. And so, right. well, not sure about this guy. And what about you? I mean, you're not, as if they did. And so that's one of the things they try is like, oh, well, we care about what the king thinks. And so um, are you sure that you're, you know, doing everything the way that the king wants, as if they would be doing the same thing, right. which they're not. Um, uh, and so we're going to see then later on uh, in the book other things that they try to to dissuade Nehemiah from what he's doing. But basically, uh, Nehemiah is not really taking any mm -hmm. guff from any of them because he knows what he wants to do. He knows he has the authority from the king, and he knows that this is something that God wants him to do. Mm -hmm. And so he's just like, we're doing this. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Um, verse 10, I don't know uh, anything about the Horonites, but Tobiah the Ammonite stood yeah. out to me as, a, again, just reminder of, you know, going back to Ezra, mm -hmm. where you've got that connection of, between kind of Saul and David, you know, comparison there. Um, so anyway, I just I thought that was interesting. We've got some more Ammonites to pop their ugly heads up, mm -hmm. so... Anyway, um, and then uh, let's see. Um, 
just very briefly, verse 20, um, when he's answering the opposition, the God of heaven will give us success. Therefore, his servants will arise and build, but you have no portion, right, or, or memorial in Jerusalem. And I just, I do appreciate, I mean, I know there are different circumstances which require different answers and different interaction, but I love these sorts of passages when, like you were saying just a moment ago, Sherry, where you've got someone like Nehemiah who knows what they're about and knows the business that they're after, who just says, you're in our way and you're going to need to move because this is from God, you know, and I just deeply appreciate that and, and feel like I could do such a better job of that, of being clear and, and just, you know, and who was somebody had said something about oh making a reference to another passage being flint headed you know just you know really setting your mind to this is I will follow what God needs to be done you know uh, and I just got in contrast I just got done reading through the passages about Balaam and Balak and poor Balaam I'm like I mean your mouth is saying the right things <laughs> You aren't quite there yet. So uh -huh. anyway, okay. Um, so chapter three, let's dive into that so we don't run out of time. And do you mind if I pick on you for reading chapter for three? Names. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Elizabeth always gets all the names. I know. One of these yeah. days she's gonna rebel, but until she does, I'm gonna keep picking on her. I'll just pronounce them all funky. <laughs> then Eliashib the high priest rose up with his brothers the priest, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hananel. And next to them, next to him, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zachar, the son of Imri, built. The sons of Hasamah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. Next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hakaz, repaired. And next to them, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, son of Meshazabel, repaired. And next to them, Zadok, the son of, of Bana, repaired. And next to them, the Tekoites repaired. But their nobles would not stoop to serve their lord. Joyada, the son of Paseah, and Meshulam, the son of Besadiah, repaired the gate of Yeshana. Uh, they laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And next to them repaired Melatiah, the Gibeonite, and Jadon, the Maranothite, the men of Gibeon and Mizpah, the seat of the governor of the province beyond river. Next to them, Uziel, the son of Harhiah, gold, uh, goldsmiths repaired. Next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers, repaired, and they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Next to them, Rephiah, the son of Hur, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired. Next to them, Jediah, the son of Haramoth, repaired opposite his house. Next to him, Hattush, the son of Hashabniah, repaired. Malkijah, the son of Haram, and Hashab, the son of Pehath Moab, repaired another section of the tower of the ovens. Next to him, Shalom, the son of Halohesh, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired, he and his daughters. Hanan and the inhabitants of Zenoa repaired the valley gate. 
They rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars, and repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the Dung Gate. Malchijah, the son of Rechab, ruler of the district of Beth Hakarim, repaired the Dung Gate. He rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And Shalom, the son of Kolhoseth, ruler of the district of Mizpah, repaired the Fountain Gate. He rebuilt it and covered it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. He built the wall of the pool of Shelah of the king's garden as far as the stairs that go down from the city of David. After him, Nehemiah, the son of Azbuk, ruler of half the district of Bethzur, repaired to a point opposite the tombs of David as far as the artificial pool and as far as the house of the mighty men. After him, the Levites repaired, Ram, the son of Bani. Next to him, Hashabiah, ruler of half the district of Keola, repaired for his district. After him, their brothers repaired. Bavai, the son of Henadad, ruler of half the district of Keolah. Next to him, Ezer, the son of Jeshua, ruler of Mizpah, repaired another section opposite the ascent of to the armory at the buckles. After him, Baruch, the son of Zabai, repaired another section from the buttress to the door of the house of Elishib, the high priest. After him, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hakaz, repaired another section from the door of the house of Eliashib to the end of the house of Eliashib. After him, the priests, the men of the surrounding area, repaired. After them, Benjamin and Heshub repaired opposite their house. After them, Azariah, the son of Maasiah, son of Ananiah, repaired beside his own house. After him, Benui, the son of Henadad, repaired another section from the house of Azariah to the buttress and to the corner. Palau, the son of Uzai, repaired opposite the buttress and the tower projecting from the upper house of the king at the court of the guard. After him, Pediah, the son of Parosh, and the temple servants living on Ophel, repaired to a point opposite the water gate on the east and the projecting tower. After him, the Tekoites repaired another section opposite the great projecting tower as far as, as, far as the wall of Ophel. Above the horse gate, the priests repaired each one opposite his own house. After them, Zadok, the son of Amer, repaired opposite his own house. After him, Shemaiah, the son of Shechaniah, the keeper of the east gate, repaired. After him, Hananiah, the son of Shelemiah, and Hanan, the sixth son of Zalaph, repaired another section. After him, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, repaired uh, opposite his chamber. After him, Malchijah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired as far as the house of the temple servants and of the merchants, opposite the muster gate and to the upper chamber of the corner. And between the upper chamber of the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and the merchants repaired. All right. Now, after we are done recording this, I am going to offer a uh, gift to Elizabeth of a very nice strawberry cake or some, whatever her delight is in there because, wow, that's a lot. Um, I, no, I love, 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 love this chapter in you know this first section of our you know study because it, to me this and I know uh, Sherry's going to do a much better job of connecting this with other places but this is such a beautiful culmination of 
the preparation that Nehemiah has made in going before God and going before the king and making preparation and then coming into Jerusalem and bringing the people together to actually do the work. Um, and, and just in my mind, as we go through those sections, you know, and then the, this family worked on this part and then this family worked, it, it's almost like you can just see each family coming out in front of their house and going, all right, this section we're taking ownership of. And then, you know, just right. kind of seeing that built up and what a beautiful thing that is not only for the outside to be looking in and seeing and go, wow, that's a beautiful lesson for us, but what that means when you're a part of something like that and you think of, you know, like when we're working together with our local congregations and we join in in efforts like this to do something for the Lord, for what draw, you know, for what binds us together, those bonds are so deeply made, I feel like. And I feel like this is such a beautiful chapter to bring that out. Um, and then the only negative thing that I have to bring out of here, of course, is that verse where it's these nobles did not stoop to do the work. And what a pit, what a terrible commentary for that particular family that there's this one that, well, they won't stoop. And But a wonderful thing for parents who look to their children and go, Oh, so you will not stoop. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> no, that's probably ripping out of context, but I love that. I'm yeah. like, oh, no, 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 no. You're not too mighty to yeah. not stoop. Yeah. Right. <laughs> We're going to get this linked up and get after this. So anyway, yeah. that sidebar. Exactly. <laughs> Share your thoughts on exactly. chapter three. Um, yeah, uh, the, the, the amount of organization um, this had to have taken was a, a large undertaking. Um, it, remember that this isn't chronological, so it's not like um, he he um, they they got opposition and then then they built the wall and then they got more opposition. But this is like this chapter is just like is just saying this is who built the wall and these are the people that built each section. Uh, I love that. Um, each person is mentioned, um, and the ones who didn't want to do anything are also mentioned, um, uh, and that um, that when each it just shows when each person does his part in combination with the whole that great things can happen quickly mm-hmm. because we know this only took like what fifty two days right. And so, and you have the mention of what some of these people's um, uh, professions were. They were not builders. Mm-hmm. Right. There were goldsmiths. There was a perfumer that was mentioned. There's, there's, uh, there's. Uh, uh, I mean, I don't re- read anywhere where it says this guy was a carpenter. And so, you know, obviously it was pretty easy for him. No, these are people that. that that don't one guy has his daughters mm-hmm. that help out with it. So you know they're not builders, um, uh, and um, and and they're not just stacking stones on each other. They're also putting the <coughs> bolts in and the gates and the bars and the whole thing. They're doing all that. They're taking responsibility. This is our section. We're going to do everything involved with our section. Um, the other thing is that. They're each working on their own section, but it's all part of the 
of a bigger project, so it has to work together with the other sections. Right. Um, when when I was at camp in uh, Minnesota several years ago, um, we studied the book of Nehemiah. Um, that was our camp theme, and um, one of the things we did, activities we did at the end, was to have the kids actually build a wall. Mm-hmm. And um, we had a bunch of boxes, and they had, and it was a Sudoku puzzle too, so they had to get them exactly right. Um, but we we split them up into groups. Okay, you're working with this group, you're working with this group, you're working with this group, and you build your section of the wall. Mm-hmm. And then the camp uh, uh, counselors and some other people were the opposition. We were like trying to dissuade them from getting their thing done. And so they had to have people that were assigned to, you know, fight off the enemy. You know, mm-hmm. we threw water balloons at them. <laughs> um, uh, and uh, so, so anyway, they did a really good job of building their sections. But when they finished, the sections didn't meet up. Mm-hmm. So we're like, y'all don't have a wall. Mm-hmm. You got a bunch of boxes piled up. That's all you got. Yeah. You got to put them together. And you got to all be inside the wall for this to work. And so they're like, oh. So, <laughs> you know, it wasn't just like, we, I need to work with these five people and get this thing done. You know, we also need to work in conjunction with everybody else so that the whole thing connects. Right. And so that's a, that's a, in order to build something as a family, you know, like for me to build something on my property, my fence, um, is one thing, but for me to be able to work with everybody else in the neighborhood so that the fences connect and that all it all works together is a completely different thing. Mm-hmm. And so um, I just think it's um, it, 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 it's something that we need to, to study and to look at when we're doing something as a group, as a congregation. You know, we have our groups. Well, this is great if I'm doing this with my group, but what is this doing to build up the entire church? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, or, um, and you know, I'm doing this with my family, you know, and, and I, we have a, our little group over here, but what are we doing to, to, to make the whole thing work? Right. And so that's a whole, um, uh, that, that just, um, it, it just impresses me that they were able to, to, to take on this undertaking um, and work with everybody in order to have it actually work and in order to have their section finished by people who weren't builders, mm-hmm. but it still worked. Right. And and with the opposition that they're gonna have, and we'll see that later, but, but um, just that they were able to do this, not being builders and not being people who would maybe naturally work next to another guy who's a perfumer, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm a goldsmith. Um, and to be able to make it all work together is just, you know, impressive. So. Yeah. All right. Elizabeth has the gift of the last word. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> something I really wanted, or I guess forgot to mention in Chapter 2 mm-hmm. is their willingness to work, where they say, okay, we're going to arise and build, and then it says they strengthened themselves for their good work, and then just jumping into chapter three, we see that playing out, and something that 
we didn't mention talking about how these people aren't builders, but it really stood out to me that the priests were repairing. Right. And like the temple is rebuilt at this point, right. I believe. Yes. So they had their own jobs in the temple, and they're doing that, and they're working to rebuild the wall. So um, <clears throat> really this dedication to um, getting it done, getting the work done. And I really appreciated you, Sherry, um, kind of connecting it to the work of the church, where, okay, if we're doing this, it's all well and good, but if we're not working with other people, other like groups, the way we have our group meetings, mm -hmm. then it's not going to be done properly. I thought about um, the metaphor in the New Testament where, where it's the body, and if, you know, if your arm's off doing one thing and your leg's doing another, you're not getting anything done and the body's not going to be built up. Mm -hmm. right. So I think it really emphasizes, number one, how it important it is to commit yourself to the work of the church, even if you don't think you have the right gifts or talents for it, mm -hmm. there's still work that can be done and we're supposed to all work together so that everyone can be encouraged, especially by people with their different gifts. Wait, I don't know. I said no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay, but that that is such a vital point, and so and and counter, uh, it, it's so counterintuitive to the religious messages that are being sent out today of find your gift and use that to glorify God. Well, I mean, you you might be able to use your gifts in that way, but more times than not what I've seen play out in scripture and in, you know, present day life is those weaknesses are the things that God brings out and uses to his glory. Mm -hmm. So be careful not to get caught up in that trap of, I need to find my gift. Well, just serve the Lord. You know, he may use your gift. He may not, you know, and that's, you need to step back from that because that gets it where we're looking inward mm -hmm. instead of upward. So, Anyway, but thank you. That was that's for that last comment. So you technically get all the credit. All right. Thanks. I enjoyed it, ladies. <laughs>